never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a cool day because I have got Celeste Yvonne with me. Uh, Celeste is a woman who has made it her mission to dispel the myths around the mummy wine culture. And it is such a topic that is close to my heart because... Um, my goodness, uh, certainly we have been drinking heavily, cheering, uh, or after the birth of our children. And it was just, it was something that was social and accepted and encouraged to a certain degree. With hindsight, I have to just shake my head. And there's so much to be said, so I can't wait to have Celeste on my show. Celeste, welcome. Thank you, Stefan. So glad to be here. Oh, that's cool. Um Normally, people don't just wake up when they're sort of, you know, in their teenager years and say, you know what, one day I'm going to write a book about mummy wine culture, and I'm going to be out there, speak out heavily out about that. There's no 18-year-old ever. Um, how was your, your younger years? Did you did you use wine? Did you did you use alcohol to bring out the maybe the, the wilder side in you, the, the nicer side, the more exposed side? Absolutely. I uh, was very much involved in college binge drinking. Uh, that was definitely part of my story. And um, I, I wouldn't say I was very interested in wine until it felt like a more sophisticated drink in your 20s, right? Like exactly. we, we fool ourselves into thinking now that, you know, it's all about the body of this, this alcohol substance. And if we smell it, and if we, if we kind of stir it, then we are sophisticated people too. And uh, so yeah, I definitely reached, you know, the, the wine appreciation years starting in my yeah. 20s, and then yeah. uh, in my 30s. Yeah. Well, let's not be silly that there is a certain culture around wine specifically um, that is beautiful. And and uh, we basically, over the last 20, 30 years, we have seen a huge growth in wine production um, in around the world. Um, and as such, with techniques changing new grapes, new new wine production techniques came on and i mean there's a there's a wealth of beautiful taste out there so let's not be silly so for the for the wine converseurs out there um okay i'll go along with that and i certainly was in your shoes i certainly appreciated a nice sancerre or a you know i could i, I could you know, tell you a little bit about wine etc in real well Let's rephrase that. I could tell you a little bit about the first two glasses of wine. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After the second bottle, uh, you could give me Chateau de Piss. Uh, and I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't know about it. <laughs> I think that's the that's the, the fair answer. Was that the same with you? Yeah. And I think like let's, yeah, let's to be totally candid, you know, I think a lot of marketing went into the sophistication of wine. Uh, for many, many years to get us to this place where we now can connect red wine with red meat mm. and white wine with fish. I mean, a lot of people know a lot of information about wine, but um, I'll, I'll remember, you know, in my 20s and 30s going to wine tastings and whatnot, and then telling me like I could spit the alcohol out after I had the sip. And thinking, ha, 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 what a joke. Like, who uh. would ever do that? Because some people do drink wine for the taste. Uh, I was not one of them. <laughs> and in all fairness, um, whilst we are uh, trying to kit ourselves with regards to our sophistication, there is an, an English chef, uh, Heston Blumenthal, um, there who uh, is, is a science of cooking. It's really all about molecular uh, chemistry, etc. And I've been to one of his shows and he basically uh, 
made you did some experiments with people from the audience out there um and he basically uh he made you literally believe that you're drinking most full-bodied beautiful red wine but in reality you had a white wine uh in your hands uh you you know there is a lot what our mind is putting upon that alcoholic drink um that is going in there and, and you're alluding to that the the, the powerful social engineering that has gone behind that the our experience with wine uh bloody hell well it's brilliant when you think about it from a restaurant point of view mm. if you can convince uh your customer that this $20 glass of red wine will make the $50 steak you just ordered taste better i mean Wow. I mean, you're winning. <laughs> you are Touché. absolutely winning. Touche. <laughs> and you have to also say, if we are there, I mean, there was a very uh, vested interest in there from the restaurants because yeah. that's where you make your money. Um, yes. You maybe make 30% uh, markup on your meat, but you've got a 100% markup on your wine typically and, and then some. Um, so it is all, there's there's very much a thing there. Um, so, but then again, let's, let's not be silly. Celeste, I challenge you. Um, there is so much evidence out there that red wine is healthy for your heart, that white wine is whatever, good beer has got vitamins. What would you say to that? Well, as somebody who, you know, believe that and kind of clung to those as my talking points for such a long time, you know, I think it's really, it's much easier now to go online and look up the long-term consequences of moderate to high uh, high risk drinking. So um, that in and of itself, you know, we are learning better. We are learning that, you know, consuming multiple glasses of wine a night um, isn't necessarily heart healthy, uh, like we might have fooled ourselves to believe. Uh, But when I'm talking with people more often than not, I try to focus on the short-term consequences because um, I think, you know, for as much wine as you might, or alcohol, you might be consuming that you think is safe or harmless. Uh, the fact that it does leave you feeling gross the next day, the fact that it is numbing you out, the fact that for me personally, it was impacting my parenting, my focus. Uh, it was causing me to be more dysregulated uh, at a time when my children needed me regulated. Beautiful. Impacting our daily sleep. I mean, these are all short-term consequences. Absolutely. Um, that we don't, I think, hone in on enough when people are having the debate over how safe or healthy is alcohol. I love the way you phrased it. Um all the things that have been put out there in in my book, uh, My Steps to Sobriety, the third edition is coming out now, and I've gone through it and with a fine tooth comb. And I actually looked again at the evidence for those various statements that are made. And I've got a long list of positive statements about wine and beer. And it's essentially, it's all basically marketing ploys. And it's taking little facts out of one obscure study and then highlighting that. For example, that that the red wine uh, is good for your cardiovascular health. Well, that all came really when people looked in the 80s, 90s at uh, the Mediterranean food plan, a Mediterranean lifestyle. Um, And as part of that, red wine was part of that. Therefore, alcohol industry, oh, red wine is good. Here, take that out and go for it. Not saying that the Mediterranean food plan also has intermittent fasting, has a high percentage of uh, fiber and all those other healthy things. So people, especially our alcohol industry, is taking little snippets out and then puts that out there in solo and somehow makes that sound good. And I think that is what, what you and I are here to, uh, to, to shout from the rooftops. Alcohol is not healthy in any way, shape or color. And 2017, 2018, uh, Lancet Review article finally spoke out very clearly. There is no safe limit for alcohol. Every single glass of alcohol will reduce your life. Full stop. Celeste, you're on the money, you're on the button. 
and I love it how you how you um, phrased it there. You already segued into the the consequences, and that's what we're going to talk now. But I I wanted to take that that wind out of the sails of anyone who says no no, no alcohol is healthy and those kind of you know quasi medical kind of benefits bullshit. I call bullshit on that. So right, or distinguishing too between beer and wine versus hard alcohol. Like mm. one of them's healthier than the other. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the unhealthy part of all of them, you know, is the ethanol. It's the part that makes you uh, feel, feel drunk. I mean, that's, that's the bad part. So uh, to, you know, rate them on a scale of which one's healthier, that's all fine and good, but you're still, um, you're, I mean, how, any way you, you say it, you're still playing with fire. Hell yes. And that's that's a really good way to, you, that you say it. So here you were, a young woman uh, being the life of the party once you had a few drinks and then some, um, the binge drinking. Uh, define binge. Um, <laughs> what is a binge for you? A binge for one person is a breakfast for the, for the other one. Um, so how much would you drink? Yeah, and I had so many fool's rules about what made my drinking healthy or acceptable uh, for for most of my life, which, you know, for me, like a binge would have been four or more drinks a night. And I justified it by saying, I don't drink every day. Mm. Um, some days I only have one or two. Mm. You know, I had all these little rules. I never drink before five o'clock. I mm. never drink and drive. I mean, I had all these things in my head that made a pretty normal occurrence of a blackout feel okay and justified and perfectly right. healthy. So stop, 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 stop. Four drinks. So we need to define the drink because uh, some people talk about drinks. Some people talk about units of alcohol. Um, mm. So when I talk about a drink, I talk about a at least 250 ml glass of wine. So therefore four drinks is a liter bottle of wine. So that's four yes. drinks for me. Um, is that what you define as a drink? Or is it a kind of, I go to the restaurant and I have, I don't know, they, they zip the bottle and then there's maybe about a, this much wine in there and that's what they call a drink. What's a drink for you? No, I would say the first you described. For me, there are, for, for me in my drinking, there were four glasses of wine in a bottle of wine. There you go. And so, so four glasses would have been a bottle. Cool. So that's actually 14 standard units of alcohol if we look at it. So therefore, <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. Okay, these are no longer yeah. rookie numbers. This is no. some, okay, now you're going to the meat. <laughs> and I think that's so important for us uh, that we actually not compare oranges with apples. And I think sure. that's that's one of the, the pitfalls. I only have one glass. Well, if you have one glass is one liter, yeah, come on, come on. Okay, right. so, and that's another way that people fool themselves. Brilliant. That well, and we fool ourselves too by, I mean, I didn't start with a bottle of wine. You know, when I became a mom, it started with a glass, mm. you know, it was a nightly glass of wine, not even every night, but mm. an occasional evening glass of wine. It, it builds up from there. I mean, for most of us, it is a slow build um and it isn't necessarily like you're starting at square one drinking four or more drinks so um it becomes like for me it was such a slow build that even by the time I was at a bottle a night it felt okay and safe because I felt fully in control and that's where you know you the mind fuck happens where it's just like I know this looks bad, <laughs> but it's totally cool. <laughs> well, see, we have got we have got uh, roadside uh, recycling here. So if you actually once a week bring out your your very big container full of wine bottles, that's sort of spilling over, and it's sort of a bit of a giveaway that maybe compared with the neighbors. Or that you actually sometimes when no one is around, you take some of your wine bottles, put them into the, the thing of the neighbor that it doesn't look so bad. Was that something that occurred to you? Um, so, yes, I have multiple strategies for making 
the empty wine bottles disappear. Uh, because again, in my head, this is safe. It's cool. But to my husband, him seeing seven bottles of wine for one week's worth of, you know, yeah. Yeah. one one week's worth uh, would be alarming. So I had to make sure that, you know, because he didn't understand what I understood, which like, this is perfectly safe and healthy. So yes, um, wine bottles would disappear. I would, I would take them. Uh, I don't think I necessarily took them to the neighbors, but I would hide them in the recycling underneath. Exactly, other exactly. I would, I would drive them to the gas station and tr- throw them away at the gas station trash. Yep. I mean, yes. there, there were strategies. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I know. Okay. What is the best place to hide a bottle? Come on. So what was the best place for you to hide the bottles from your husband? Um, for me, like as, as if there was a bottle in the house at all, I was always kind of walking on glass. So for me, the the strategy was always an exit strategy. Get the bottle out of the house uh, what, as soon as possible to avoid any sort of uh, possibility of being caught. Um, so for me, that that would involve, you know, finding the nearest uh, public trash can. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I don't understand because after a bottle of wine, everyone can smell it. Everyone can see it. So here you were hiding, you became a master hider of alcohol bottles, uh, yet you can't hide the smell. Um, why did you not migrate to vodka? There's less smell. Um if I had kept drinking, I absolutely would have migrated to vodka. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that um, my drinking story stopped uh, before it, it got there. Mm. But it was just a matter of time, too. Mm. Okay. What did the alcohol give you? It gave you the disinhibition as a younger person. It gives you yeah. the the craziness, the wildness, and that's 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 okay. That's when we are young, when we are stupid. Um, then you've got life coming, huh? You had pregnancy. May I ask? Did you have a few glasses of wine during your pregnancy, or were you completely sober? I was completely sober, and it wasn't because I didn't think having a little bit of alcohol when I was pregnant wouldn't be okay. It was because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to stop. Beautiful, beautiful. So from the word go, you had the suspicion that you're a sitting duck um, for the alcohol to escalate. I think so. You know, even if I wasn't ready to admit to that, subconsciously, it was clearly there. Yeah. So baby was born. how was your mood? How was you? Were you elated? Were you tired? Were you sad? Were there any maybe not so bright times? Oh, most of it wasn't bright for me. Um, I struggled with postpartum anxiety and depression with both my children. Hmm. Um, and it felt extremely overwhelming, so scary, especially with my first. Uh, feeling like I wasn't prepared or even capable of um, taking care of this baby, Uh, feeling like a good mother would know how to soothe him. Uh, And I could not. Um, It it was a lot of uh, imposter syndrome. Oh, Okay. Uh, and feeling like I wasn't qualified or capable. And that that was hard. You know, that was a really hard transition for me. Thank you for being so honest. Uh, and I don't know which woman would ever feel qualified to look after a baby the first time around. Uh, I think this is such an, a normal thing. Yet we somehow expect in our society, we are it. I'm a young woman. Look at me. I'm here. I, uh, well, did you, did you balance different roles? Did you, were you still working? Yeah. And I think there's so much pressure to act like you do know what you're doing and that (laughs) you're loving all of it. Like that, you know. Bullshit. 
all the pain and suffering in your life is healing because of this new precious being in your life and you feel fulfilled in a way you've never felt before. I feel like these were all the things I thought I was supposed <laughs> to be feeling, <laughs> oh, uh, even though I was dying inside a little. Oh. Um, and, you know, here in the US, at six weeks, I returned back to work, which is normal and expected. Uh, my six weeks uh, of maternity leave were unpaid. And um, I, was told directly by my employers that the fact that I had a job to even come back to was by their good grace. So I, <laughs> yeah. so wow. I returned back to work six weeks, um, started to understand how to manage daycare now uh, with breastfeeding with a full-time, oh, actually, I think it was a part-time job at that point. And um and managing just the the same life stressors that you always have along with it. Wow. Wow. Did you have at that time, did you have an insight into the need for nutritional support for simply physical support for your body? I mean, you have just grown this four kilogram, beautiful new being. You have stripped everything inside your body bare in order to create this new thing. And uh, most women just getting on with life or not realizing that they actually are completely uh, depleted in many, many substances. Was there any awareness of that? Was there anything uh, clicking or did you just get thrown into deep end and now swim? I feel like depleted is a very good word for it. You know, when you, after you have a child, uh, you're physically healing, you're mentally he healing, your hormones are going crazy. They're so confused. Your relationship has just changed drastically uh, as you navigate a third person in your family. Yeah. And um, I really felt, and, and as I was navigating postpartum depression, I really felt like a fragment of a human um, who was giving, who's literally giving my nutrition, my best nutrition to my baby now, you know, through breastfeeding. Um, and it felt like my, even my own body, you know, I felt this a little bit in pregnancy, but I it felt it even more in breastfeeding. I was giving my body was no longer my own. You know, mm. my body was a milk factory to serve <laughs> my child. Yeah. And that was my most important job right now. You know, I think there's a lot of self-imposed pressure that um, breastfeeding was extremely important, even to the detriment of my mental health. Um, and I think that weighed in on me too. Oh, thank you for your honesty, because there is a huge pressure. Now, let's, from a doctor's point of view, let's be very, very, very clear. There's nothing better than breast milk for a newborn. Um, and we unfortunately have seen it in the developing world uh, or everywhere, really, where um, somehow there was a pressure from mums to move very quickly to formula. Um, the children are definitely having uh, very much uh health uh a reduced health status uh in uh depending upon how early you you get weaned from the mother milk to formula there are no two ways around it um at the same token very few women do express the mental load that actually is there on them so for that i'm very grateful that you actually bring that up because you're not alone in that in that perception in that confusing state where you don't know what's right, what's wrong. Um, and there's even more shame and guilt now that you actually say, well, that you actually have got that feeling. How dare I have that feeling? I'm supposed to be this sugar sweet mummy. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Did the alcohol help? So I started kind of working alcohol back into my life um, very slowly, very cautiously, trying to understand how to navigate breastfeeding with drinking um, and taking it, you know, as responsibly as I could with an alcoholic mm -hmm. substance. Um, 
And it felt like kind of my light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. After a long day with a lot of stress and pressures with feeling like my body was not mine, but something I had to give to someone else most hours of the day, that drink at the end of the day felt like finally something for me. Finally, mommy time. My, and not even mommy time, finally me time. Mm. You know, I'm mommy for 22 hours of the day, but for these two, I get to be me. Wow, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Um, I 100% experienced exactly the same kind of thing. Um, when you drank your wine, what was happening in your body? Did you feel your shoulders relax? Yeah, I mean, a decompression, a softening, mm. a mental lightening, you know, the fluttering, um, you know, for about 20 minutes, it feels like everything's just right. Like, maybe I am a good mom. Maybe um, this is all going to work out. Beautiful. For about 20 minutes. <laughs> No, 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 no. It is it is longer if you drink a bit more. So <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. you gotta reach for a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the point, isn't it? Uh, because here you finally got that release. You finally got that relief um yeah. of the pressures. And now you should stop. No, 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 no. Give me another one. Oh, another one. Right. That felt good. Mm -hmm. Let's try that again. Exactly. Exactly right. And that is the, the vicious circle that then very quickly spirals out of control, isn't it? Yes. Goodness. Um, you mentioned the role of your husband um, or your partner. Uh, you you said that you were hiding the bottles from him. Uh, does that mean that he was an absolute teetotaler or? No. And he, um, you know, he partook with me. Uh, you know, the by the time I was starting to hide bottles, by the time I was drinking, you know, four or more a night, um, you know, this was kind of years into my motherhood journey. Like it, it really was, you know, it was a slow descent followed by getting pregnant with my second, abstaining, and then a, a quicker descent the second mm -hmm. time around. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I was at a place, you know, when my, by the time I quit, my children were one and three and um, I was at probably at a bottle at night, again, not every night, mm. but enough that I felt really awful most days. And it genuinely felt like alcohol is all I had left to look forward to. And this is speaking as somebody who's wanted to be a mom my entire life. So to now be at this place where it felt like alcohol was all I had to look forward to when I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old, two healthy children, a loving, compassionate husband. I had the dog. I had the house. You know, I had everything I've ever dreamed of. And all I wanted to do was drink not one glass of wine, but an mm. entire bottle and get loaded each night mm. was such a red flag. But it was also what at that moment gave you the relief. It was also what took the pain away at that moment in time because the alternative would have been more pain, more stress, more suffering. So, and that is what so many people don't understand, that the alcohol serves a purpose for you there and then. It is the band-aid um, that at least temporarily hides the pus or stops the bleeding for a little bit. But it is there because it does something to you. Did you seek help in the sense of, did you go to your GP, to your family physician, and actually discuss the issue of, of your mood or your perceptions around the the pregnancy or the, the, the being a mum now? I did not. Uh, I, you know, very much kept what was happening within me a secret, uh, even as I saw 
things continuously getting worse and feeling worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I had a few moments of uh, contemplation that maybe I need to rethink this lifestyle. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, it was a December Monday morning at work, you know, dropped my kids off at daycare, was going in the office, going through my emails, and I had a panic attack. And that was kind of my moment where I knew I had to make a dramatic change to the way I was living my life. If I was going to have anything to look forward to in the future. And I say that because uh, my father, who was an alcoholic my entire childhood, uh, most of my life, he had a stroke when he was 52. And um, it disabled him for the rest of his life. And when I was having that panic attack, I worried that maybe I was having a stroke and Mm. the realization that what I was doing right now was a form of self-sabotage. And it, if it wasn't now, it eventually later will come back to bite me in the ass Mm. really struck me that day Mm. and really gave me the conviction I needed to make a change. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, what made that anxiety attack different? Because you would have had anxiety uh, over the last previous five years, six years. Um, why were you suddenly ready to receive the message? Because in that panic attack, I thought I was having a stroke. Good. And that was, you know, the scare I needed to think if this isn't a stroke now it absolutely will be later nice and that's not like i saw th- how that played out with my dad mm. that is not the life i wanted to head towards that's not the life i wanted for my family sure. and um i needed to make a change and i needed to do it starting today beautiful 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 how did you make the change so the first thing i did was i told my mom and I told her right then that day, um, I, I went to the ER uh, and I told her in the waiting room that I, you know, I I think I'm an alcoholic. And she was super surprised. You know, I've always kept that extremely separate from her because she was married to an alcoholic for most of her life, or, you know, for a lot of her life. Uh, and I knew that would be a huge trigger for her, but she was super supportive Uh, But I also knew by telling her, I don't get to take this back. You know, I can't start drinking again next week and hurt and she's going to brush it off. Right. Like she's going to take this very seriously. She's Mm -hmm. going to call me on it. Uh, So by me saying that and saying that out loud to her, I knew I was doing something permanent. Like I was Mm -hmm. making a permanent choice that whether or not I can live alcohol free or not, our relationship will never be the same again. Mm. And um, Mm. that was important and serious to me. And it was what I needed to have that accountability to start my day one. Mm. Um, And that's really all I did in the beginning. Mm. Um, I'm sad to say, I, I never went to a meeting. I didn't read any books in the beginning. I, I kind of clung to this secret uh, with a lot of shame and self-loathing that this was my burden to carry. And I don't want anybody to know. Uh, And it wasn't until months later that I started to read up on it and connect with other people and uh, learn and understand kind of the why and do what the therapy work, you know, all Mm. the things that we do to build a sustainable, sober lifestyle. Mm. Uh, But my early months was, you know, if I could go back and do those again, I would do them so differently. Absolutely. I mean, you were white knuckling it. That's how I I called it. 
Yeah. Um, it is, you know, and that is that is the the hard thing. It is so people say, ah, oh, you know, does sobriety work? Well, let's let's phrase it like that. It depends upon what kind of structures you put in place uh, in order to support yourself. What kind of com uh, of community you build up or get yourself involved in that supports you. Um, what kind of nutrition you're taking? What kind of uh, of uh, self development tools you're developing? If you don't do any of that, well, I would say that your chance of a relapse in the first year would be sort of yeah, hundred percent. I would say, um, uh, make it ninety nine. Okay, maybe the one uh, there's the odd the odd guy who makes it. Um, but no, so you did it the hard way. Um, did it the hard way. Did you have any withdrawals? Did you have any immediate medical problems? No. When you stopped drinking. I did not. Um, it was. The week of Christmas, um, I would say the hardest part of that week was just the triggers everywhere. <laughs> you know, everyone around me is drinking <laughs> mimosas at breakfast, eggnog, spiked cider. I mean, it was everywhere. Champagne, like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. um, that, for me, was the most challenging part about it. But on the other hand, my mom was with me for most of those parties that week and even if she wasn't physically by my side the entire time which she yeah. wasn't you know she wasn't holding my hand for all of it but I felt empowered I didn't feel like she was babysitting me I felt empowered by her presence to stay strong beautiful and that was that was the connection I needed to get through what otherwise would have been an impossible week to get through beautiful beautiful and there is the power of community there yes there's the power exactly. of you opening up and that is such a wonderful wonderful uh thing oh beautiful and i'm so pleased for you that you had that awakening uh at a time when the alcohol had not yet left for you with irreparable uh scars uh in, on the inside or on the outside or with a with a maybe more legal uh, the implications, DUIs, um, losing a job, et cetera. Um, yeah. And it was, I mean, all of it though, all of it was just a matter of time. Yeah. I was drinking and drinking at a rate that any and all of those things would have been inevitable if I continued. Um, there's just no way around that without ramifications. So mm. um, I'm so lucky that I was able to quit when I did without all those serious consequences. But I see other people in the sober communities who quit at the same time as me um, going through the exact same things with serious ramifications. Mm -hmm. And so I say that by saying it wasn't because I'm better than other people. It wasn't because um, I had less of a problem than other people. It's because I was freaking lucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it how you put that. Um, exactly. So it's a matter of time. Um, and there are only three outcomes uh, for um, someone who finds themselves so much in love with alcohol. It's either death um, or jail or recovery. These are really the, the three outcomes that we ultimately face. Um Having said all that, it's all quite pretty to say, yes, of course, we 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 change and all the, the, the negative things go away. Well, first of all, they don't go away this quickly. Um, your depression, your anxiety, your um, maybe to a certain degree PTSD from your experiences uh, during your pregnancy um, from uh, or during the, the, the early childhood um, uh, years. Um, maybe also the the sheer fact that you are that there is no longer this band aid there how the hell did you replace that yeah and it's such a good question because you know we talked about earlier how in motherhood it reached a place where alcohol literally felt like the only thing i had exactly you know, i had nothing else and so the this idea someone saying you have to take that off the table too would have ripped me up inside because Absolutely. it would have felt like you've taken everything else from me. Like, don't take this from me too. Um, and I think that's why I really dug this hole in myself in those early months of 
shame and rage and sadness and just like this life I, I i'm doomed to this life of deprivation mm. forever mm. and it wasn't until i was able to start finding you know not only community other mothers who were sober mm. uh but finding uh things i enjoy tools for my toolkit mm. um i started to embrace physical activity, mm. you know, uh, nature. I mean, these were the things that built me back up to where at the end of the day, you know, when motherhood can feel really draining and depleting, I have so much more to fill up my cup. Nice. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and But that is something that we need to learn. And that is a hard slog, actually. Um, because first of all, we that uh, alcohol is an incredibly powerful substance. Uh, and it, it alters the perception uh, that we have. I know, for example, my taste was changed for a long, long time. I was really probably half a year, three quarters of a year into my sobriety that one day I stopped at the roadside and, and bought some strawberries on sale there. And I, I had one of the strawberries there and I suddenly thought, wow, this is the most beautiful strawberry I've ever tasted in my life. And I thought, what is that? What will, I, I, uh, And it only then later dawned on me that slowly but surely my senses started readjusting to what was normal and that was scary yet beautiful and that made me suddenly appreciate uh living an intentional life in such a better uh way in a, such a more more thoughtful way intentional way really uh wow okay cool what helped what helped you so your community was there but and and sport was there activity mm -hmm. but how do you do that with with little children come on do you do you have one each shoulder and then go running or how does it work <laughs> uh, well kind of literally yes uh <laughs> when i with my first child um i was trying to figure this out like how do i incorporate exercise when i have a child here like on my lap 24 seven uh, when I'm not working. And I got a running stroller uh, when he was about six months and I was never a runner, never even considered myself a runner. Did not, I'm not a runner. I don't like running, but one day I was walking him uh, around, you know, the neighborhood of our house and he was crying. and. I just started to jog and he quieted down and <laughs> I'm like, look at me, I'm jogging and no joke. Like that started my running, <laughs> my running passion. Excellent. <laughs> I, two, three weeks ago, I just ran my fifth marathon. Um, <laughs> I have been running for less than 10 years and I just ran my fifth marathon. So you know, don't tell me anything's not possible. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Of course, I could say, are you just running away from your problems? Well, you could say, you know, have I, has I, have I transferred addictions? You know, uh, we, uh, you know, we talk about all the stuff in therapy and whatnot, uh, you know, and I think um, when you take something you're passionate about and you find a healthy, safe way to uh, practice it, um, you can find a way to do it that is healthy, but still um, exciting and beautiful and fun. Um, mm. and, and that's okay. Like you don't have to feel guilty about that. Absolutely. And I don't, I absolutely do not. Absolutely. I love the way you've answered that. Um, that is exactly it. Um, and uh, whilst we could phrase it in a negative way of uh, running away from things, I could also phrase it very positively, that a lot of runners go into a state of meditation. 
during the running and therefore actually calming their mind down living in the now doing all the positive things so no 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 it's it is again it's up to us how we frame um activity how we frame certain things um for us and we can do it in daily life um when you were talking about sport um i made it more a point in my life of being active so I've got a, 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 um, a Garmin, a smartwatch that I can program with regards to, okay, now I record what I do. For example, gardening. I've got something gardening in there. So if I go in the garden and then I click that and it typically I go pretty hard. So, you know, there might be sweat, there might be, uh, you know, a bit of stretching there. There might be a hundred pushups there uh, by the time I've, I've pulled the weeds. Well, that's all activity. And I record yeah. that. And I actually, uh, I put in more activity every day um, as a, as a different way, because my life is very busy. Um, so like a young mum's life is very busy. So you don't have to start with a marathon. You can start with five minutes somewhere, but celebrate okay. those five minutes. And if your life is worth living, it's worth recording. So therefore, I do that with my Garmin. For you, it might be uh, writing it down in a journal. Did you did you find journaling or did you find um, documenting your journey a benefit? Did that, Was that something that came across your mind? Um, I would say day counting was very important in early recovery for me mm. because it helped, it helped keep me accountable. Mm. It also gave me something to look forward to. Wow. Um, I really embraced uh, my day tracker um, as a reminder too, that however hard this day was, I'd never have to do it again. And um nice. That really encouraged me, um, especially when I felt like I should be further along or mm. I felt like, what's the point? Um, I I used that as motivation to keep going because mm. I know what day one feels like, but I don't know what day 90 feels like. So mm. let's let's sleep on it and see what day 90 feels like tomorrow, you know, just as an example. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Indeed, I've forgotten actually about that. Uh, same for me. Um, and I I was introduced to, um, I did a, 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 a four-week rehab. And during that rehab, we had to come up with uh, a good motivational saying every day, either reading it from somewhere or making it up, whatever. We all had to come up with something. And I actually, after discharge, I, uh, I continued that amongst the series of friends. So for quite some years, I sent daily texts around with sort of, you know, some kind of affirmation, motivation, but it was, you know, day 382, and then bang. So it was always the day there. And it was a kind of a celebration of another day. Having said that, you know, these are the positive sides of, of sobriety, of recovery. Um, there are, of course, the, the urges. Um, how did you deal with urges? And did you figure out what caused them for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I've dug so deep into uh, triggers and urges um, that I could probably write a couple books on them. <laughs> um, I, I mean, that is what I mean, that is such a great benefit of sobriety is you really learn so much more about your body, huh. your thinking patterns, what makes, what motivates you in a way that I never knew or understood um, during my drinking days. Uh, and now, you know, when I get a trigger or an urge for whatever it is, um, whatever it might be, I can quickly say, that's because I'm hungry. That's because I slept poorly last night. That's because I am clinging to that conversation I had that didn't go well from yesterday. Uh -huh. And something they said just made me think of it. You know, it's it's really, uh, it's pretty easy to quickly an analyze like how your brain does mm -hmm. what it does mm -hmm. when you're paying attention. Exactly. And in sobriety, we get to pay attention. <laughs> Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Tired. Halt was exactly. always the, the thing for me. 
and to this day um right now i've had uh, a beautiful morning of interviews i feel myself going a bit hungry um angry hell no i feel very good lonely no i've had i've had compassion and 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 great connections tired no so right now i'm a bit hungry hmm do i think about alcohol no do i think about a cheesecake no i'm actually in a good place now, if I was to continue like that, push, 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 very soon I would be tired. I would be, I would feel just drained and I have not looked after myself. And then my body will do magic things like saying, hey, look, if you just have a glass of wine, then, you know, you get your second wind. Just keep going, keep going. You can do eight interviews in a day. Come on, have just a bottle of wine next to you. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you just think, what the fuck are you talking, you stupid brain? Uh, but it's, that is what is happening up there in, in, in yeah. our mind. It can make My. anything make sense. <laughs> it's, you know it's, I was just thinking about HALT. Uh, I feel like in parenting and maybe in all of life, but especially in parenting, we need to add an acronym to it. So it'd be like HALT O. So it'd be hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or O for overstimulated. Because Ooh, that is nice. such a huge one Nice for me in motherhood. Mm. Mm. I, and it's a big trigger. Well, and guess what we're... Got- of what we're doing in our daily lives. I mean, is that not, are you not just describing uh, the 2023 for most people in the United States? Well, yeah, we're all doing 10 things at once. Mm. And then when you do it, when you've got kids screaming in the other room and you smell dinner on fire, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be overstimulated. <laughs> okay, this is a very good point. I love it. Halt O. Halto. Yeah. Halto. Halto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you made that up. I, I give that to you, but I will steal it. Um Go for because, it. Yeah, because this is actually really, really good. I couldn't agree more. And it's that finally, when you're stopping, when you're calming down, and if you have never learned to do it in another way, now mm-hmm. that's where the problem is. That's where the alcohol and comes in. That's just it. I think that's why in parenting, I was like, yeah okay, maybe I shouldn't be drinking a bottle of wine a night, but what else, what are my other options to help me take it down a couple notches? Mm. And that's the, the, it's not a trick. It's a tool Mm. learning what you can do instead. That's not going to come back to bite you in the butt tomorrow. And for me, you know, that looks like whether it means taking my dogs out on a walk to get out of the house uh, or mm. putting on noise canceling headphones. I mean, there are multiple things we can mm. be doing mm. that do take it down the overstimulation a few notches uh, without, you know, pouring poison down my throat. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. But of course, there is the shame and guilt, uh, this perfect mother that is there always for the child. And I think that is where where sometimes uh, childhood groups, et cetera, come, or mums with, with, um, or just a circle of friends uh, work together. I, uh, in a different life, I worked in and, and lived in in West Africa, and I remember a situation there where um, I was sitting in a restaurant with with a, a female coworker, and she said, "Watch that over there." And she pointed to some women who were sitting there, and and, and a young woman with her baby had just arrived. And what happened is so she sat down and the the girl next to her took the baby and cuddled it and played with it. And then the baby was reached on to the next one, the next one. Meanwhile, mummy was sitting there and just had time out and just talked. And the baby was going around. And half an hour later, it sort of made the round back um, and mummy had her baby back. But that was half an hour of break for her. And I had never seen that until this co-worker actually pointed it out. And this was such a beautiful way of uh, naturally happen in that society. Um, And it was uh, mind blowing, actually. But that's not what we see nowadays. Um, I mean, that sounds like a dream. That sounds Mm. like a dream come true. Like, I feel like anytime somebody, not because I was a bad mom and not because I didn't want to be with my Mm. baby, but to know that my baby was safely in someone's hands so I could take a shower. Exactly. So I could shave my legs. I mean, whatever it was, whatever it was I needed to do without feeling like I had to 
leave my my baby in whatever the crib, whatnot, um, or in a situation where it's like, you know what, I'm just not going to do it today. I'm not going to shower today. I'm not going to shave. Um, that's, that's the difference. The problem, of course, is here we are. Um, we have gone through our lives and we have made all the mistakes. And now we have essentially gained this understanding which mainly came from making poor choices in the past. Um, uh, they always say the youth is wasted on the young. Um, so how the hell do we change that? Are we not, the two of us are not preaching to the converted here? Because the people who are listening to my show are probably more in the 40s, 50s. They are not in the 20s and are just going through their first motherhood. And how the hell do you reach those people and actually say, hey, guys, it's not your fault. You're not a bad mom. You're not a bad person. How do we do that? I, I mean, there's so much. I mean, that's such a complicated question. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I try to do now that I know is different than how I was raised is I try to show my children what a what healthy coping mechanisms look like mm. what a alcohol free life looks like you know my husband still drinks uh he drank differently than me he always has he's um a moderate drinker but my kids get to see two different ways mm. of being an adult um and there are two ways that i hope they will consider or um, have um, keep in mind when mm. the opportunity presents itself for them um, mm. as 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 options, um, where it's not all about binging. You know, if I was mm. still drinking, um, it would not it would never be a way of of drinking that I would want for my children. Mm -hmm. That's certainly not how I would want them to grow up to drink. Mm. Uh, so for me to still drink that way in front of them, it would be such a hypocritical way of living. And yet that's the way I grew up with my father, you know, um, drinking in such a way um, that um, it, it left scars on the whole family. Um, so I have to hope that by showing my children that, that, that sobriety is an option mm. and with the understanding that, you know, 80% of the population drinks. So mm. uh, it is more likely that they will partake than not um, just knowing like there are other ways of coping and it isn't, uh, it doesn't have to be the default. Mm. And that's something I hope uh, we can teach young adults too, um, especially um, new moms or new parents uh, and trying to veer away from this mommy wine culture, this, this mother's need alcohol to cope with raising mm. our children, to mm. cope with the stressors of parenting. Um, if we can transition that narrative to something more supportive uh, and, and what what mothers genuinely need and what we can genuinely offer each other, um, then maybe we can offer a more sustainable strategy for motherhood. It's beautifully said. It's beautifully said. And I love it that you have gone out there, that you have been the guest on many shows, that you've been a guest on, uh, that you, your book is out there and um, pushing it. So tell us a bit about your book. It's not about a wine. We've had it beautifully there. For those of you watching the video, it has been there all the time over, over her right shoulder there. Um, tell us about your book. Where can we find your book? Yes. Yeah, so my book uh, is available on Amazon or anywhere you get your if, your favorite place to get your books. And it's called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. And I really hope it shows parents, um, particularly mothers, other ways, healthier ways of coping with our biggest mm. stressors without alcohol, mm. um, but also sharing my my drinking story, my sober story, mm. um, as well as uh, a dozen other women, um, other mothers, um, how mm. they, you know, learned 
that alcohol would not fix uh, their parenting stressors <laughs> and what and what we all do now instead and how yeah. to deal with you know those situations or those problems that whether or not you drink we mm. all face uh, because parenting is extremely st- stressful um, and uh, alcohol is not going to fix it beautiful if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to find out more about you, where can they find you? I'm on social media on Instagram and Facebook at the Ultimate Mom Challenge. And uh, people can find me there. Brilliant. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because all of her links are down there. While she's down there, press the like and subscribe button. Uh, maybe leave a comment uh, about something that really struck you in this interview, uh, because we want to hear your experiences we want to we want you to be involved we want you to to explore your own emotions um your own responses that are coming up within you in response to to what what we have discussed here uh because both celeste and i we are here to to just make you think make you feel make you explore your own reality and see if maybe just maybe there might be other ways that you can live your life in a fuller way in a more intentional way rather than trying to escape your reality trying to numb yourself trying to just escape that that moment that get that fleeting moment of bliss that is tomorrow then leading to anxiety the mixture of hangover and anxiety. Um, so no, I think we all can do better. But and I think we all can do better by looking at those who have been in the darkness and are now trying to be the light in the darkness of others. And you are a classic example. Celeste, you're an amazing woman. Thank you very much for your honesty, for your transparency, for your passion. Um, I had a wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. An absolute pleasure. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.